It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he think that the servant, because he did the things that <clears throat> were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. I pray for your strength. I ask you, Lord, to speak through me for your glory. Without you, I cannot preach. I need you. For these next few moments, would you just still our hearts, open our minds and our eyes, so may we see the truth that's in your word for your glory. Oh God, do something incredible that only you can receive glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome to be seated. The disciples and Jesus are nearing the apex or the climax of his earthly ministry. They have seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things, miraculous things even. They've seen the sick healed. They've seen the dead raised. They have seen very many miracles. And the apostles ask this question right in the middle of our text. They say, Lord, would increase our faith. That's kind of a bizarre thing to do when Jesus is walking and teaching them, and they just ask, out of the blue, increase our faith. And his, some, his response to me is somewhat bizarre. What would we do in, typically, in, in typical fashion in Baptist? If someone said, increase our faith, we're going to tell you, I want you to do this, 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 and this, and you'll have more faith, Right? Here's your checklist. If you do all these things, your faith is going to increase. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says this. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, if I were there, I'd be thinking, you mean... I can have that kind of power? You mean that if I have enough faith, I can do whatever I want, even the miraculous? I could actually tell a tree to be plucked up by its roots and moved over and growing in the sea? I'm in. I want that power. You know why? 
Because my flesh loves to be in control. And so does the disciples. The disciples have watched him do a lot of things that they couldn't do. As a matter of fact, leading up to this, he tells them that it's impossible that offenses uh, will not come. They're going to come. And then right out of the blue, he says this, But you take heed to yourselves. Look at verse 2, or 3, excuse me. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, the disciples, I would imagine, are sitting there thinking, seven times. You mean when he comes, he's done this to me six times in a row. I have to forgive him another time. I have to go to seven times. We were discussing this yesterday in our Bible study on Saturday mornings, and one of the guys said, I'm just glad he didn't say eight. Very good observation. How does this tie in to the overarching thing of what Jesus is trying to teach them or tell them? What does Jesus want them to see, his disciples, in this brief discussion? See, we all want to have more faith, don't we? It's interesting to me that when Jesus instructs on faith, it's most often talking about the object of the faith, not the amount of faith. Here's what humans do. If I have more faith than Jason, that gives me something to boast about. And Jesus says, I'm not worried about your amount of faith. I'm worried about the object of your faith. Where your faith is resting. Upon whom you are trusting. See, this is very important. This is basic Christianity 101, but it seems extreme in the day that we live in. Because the apostles, or the disciples I should say, the the disciples, they want this faith so they can use it the way they want to use it. Is that not the way we are too sometimes? Most often, even recorded in Scripture, when we ask the Lord we need more faith, it's because we're in a desperate situation. And we're crying out for faith. The one who cried out, Oh, Father, oh, Lord, help my unbelief. So how do we increase Our faith. Because Jesus gives this strange answer, and we're not completely reading the full answer yet, in response to the disciples demanding or asking him to increase their faith. Notice he says, let me read this again, verses 6 6 through 10. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay, we're talking about faith. I get that, right? I understand what he's saying. I'm following along. But did something happen between this verse and this next verse and this verse? Because notice what Jesus says. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down and eat. 
we're talking about faith. We're talking about faith. Where did this come from? Why is Jesus redirecting our attention? Which one of you have a servant that's been out working and he comes in and the master says to the servant, sit down and eat, let me prepare you a meal. You got it backwards. Even if the servant goes outside and works all day, it's still his responsibility to come in and fix dinner for the master and then he eats after the master. Could it be in Christianity that we have gotten things mixed up? That we think that if God would increase our faith, then He would work for us. Then the master would say, okay, come in, your dinner's ready. Matter of fact, you don't even have to do the work anymore, I'll just do it for you. You see, we humans take everything that God makes beautiful and we make a mess out of it. It started with the disciples and we are no different than they are. We like to think that we read it in the Bible and say, what were they thinking? But you know what? We're no different than they are. We would have done the same thing. If you and I were in the garden and Jesus said, I want you to stay here and pray and I'm going to go over here and pray, I guarantee you I'd been snoring. And so would you. We like to think we're better than what we are. And so Jesus says, let me take it one step farther. Verse 8. But will he not rather say to him, the master, say to the servant, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. That's plausible. That's logical. So, Jesus wants us to do what he wants us to do first rather than what we want to do. Okay. Verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. When I was in the army and a drill sergeant told me to do something and I did it, he didn't say, okay, thank you. I'm glad you did that. You're a fine, upstanding man. No. With some other adjectives, he told me some other things to do. Verse 10, so likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. This matter of faith is so messed up. This matter of faith is so messed up. There's whole doctrine built on name it and claim it, which means you can have anything you want if you just believe God enough for it, you'll get it. I heard a fellow one time talking, and he was preaching down in Huntington on the radio, and I was listening to him, and he was preaching this sermon about how he wanted this Corvette, and he went up and he laid hands on the Corvette and prayed, and do you know that next week he got the Corvette? And I say, wait a minute, brother, I've been uh, the funeral home, preached a funeral Friday. I'm preaching a funeral. I'm leaving here. As soon as I'm done, I'm, we're getting in the car and going to Proctorville. I'm preaching a funeral in Proctorville. Coming back for, I'm preaching a funeral. Let me tell you something. There are many people who could care less about a Corvette. And you've got supposed ministers of the gospel standing up saying, you can have whatever you want. That's a blasphemy. 
They don't read the Bible. Jesus says something else. You want your faith to grow? You obey me. Because in your obedience, that is the greatest exercise of faith. When I do what God tells me to do, that's my greatest exercise that I believe Him. That's the greatest testimony. I'm going to do it. I was asking a business owner yesterday, I said, how do you feel? How does it make you feel when you know what to do and you, see the, you tell them, I want you to do this, and your employee says, no, wait a minute, no, wait a minute. Why? Why don't we do it this way? A school teacher, when you tell your student, this is what you need to do, I know the answers to the test, this is what you need to do, and the student says, no, I why, why don't we do it this way? How must God be long-suffering with us? But God, I want to do this, and I'm going to believe you for this, and I'm out in front of you, and, and I have faith, and come on, follow me. That's not faith. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. And what he is saying is your faith is tied to your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence, this is why the writer says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How do we know the commands of Christ? By the word of God. How does it all tie together? Our faith is not conjuring up something and saying, Okay, God, bless it. Our faith is believing that what God says in his word, he will do, and what God tells me to do in his word, I will do. Simple faith. But the disciples want to pluck up trees, and they want to do miraculous things. Why? So that everybody sees the disciples. They come to the Lord. Man, Lord, uh, we couldn't cast out this demon. Lord, bring him to me. Bring her to me. Cast out the demons. And then later, they're embarrassed. They take him aside and say, Lord, uh, why couldn't we cast out this? He said, this kind comes not out but by prayer and fasting. Fasting is italicized. It's not in the original language of some manuscripts. How do I know that? Because Jesus said when they were asking him about John's disciples fast, why don't your disciples fast? And he said, why would they fast when the bridegroom is here? You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying this didn't come out because it only comes out by prayer and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make four statements, and then I'm going to give you five of the main points of the sermon. All right? I got more points than a porcupine this morning. I'll go quickly. Number one, faith is not to make us lords over anything. Faith is not, our faith growing is not to make us lord over anything. I will tell you this. There's a lot of things done under the auspices of faith that is really not faith. I had a fella who uh, one time came to me, and I wasn't smart enough. I, the Lord had to do this. I didn't figure this out. But he said, man, have you read the story of J.C. Penney? I said, no. The story of J.C. Penney was fascinating. Yes, J.C. Penney was a man. And he got saved, and he went, as he began to get saved, and later in his life he went from tithing 10% of his income to tithing 90% of his income before he died. And in his story, he tells how God blessed him along the way. And this guy decided, you know what? I want to be like him. I want, to, I want to give more and more and more so that I'll get more and more. That's not faith. That's a Ponzi scheme. 
That's not faith. Faith is not to make us lords over anything. Faith is to make us subjective to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, faith is not so we get what we want. Has anyone here ever wanted something so badly and you got it, and when you got it, you realized it wasn't what you wanted? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Yes, we have. Number three, faith is not to separate us from others. Well, I have to tell you about Eugene, man. He's got this kind of faith up here, and I've got this kind of faith. Really? That's not what faith is about. See how we make faith all about us rather than about the Lord Jesus Christ? Number four, faith is not to glorify ourselves. The disciples want this. I could even say them. I could even see one of them. I, I, this is speculation. This is my thinking because this is how I would be. I'd be thinking, I'm going to have to have some faith if I'm going to forgive him seven times. Why are you laughing? You're laughing because you'd do the same thing, wouldn't you? We can't even make it two times with most people. So let me just tell you what faith is. Out of this passage, Jesus is teaching us, number one, that faith is believing God will do what he says he will do. God will do what he says, simple faith. I used to hear preachers say it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It don't matter if you believe it or not, brother. If God said it, it's settled. It doesn't matter. God is the authority. And faith is believing that what he says in this book will come true. This is why I constantly try to get you to read the word of God, to listen to it on your phone, to get the word of God in you. We teach him over there in Awana, I'll hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. Hide it in my heart. Faith is believing that what he says in this book, he means. I... So many people try to have these grandiose messages where they try to make something out of the Word of God that's not there. Just believe it. It's real. It's literal. Just take it, accept it, believe it. It's truth. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. Faith is believing God will do what He says He'll do. Number two, faith is submission to the Master. Faith is submission to the Master. Now listen to me. Biblical submission is, well, I'm going to do it, but I don't like it. Really. Sometimes I get frustrated with myself. Does anyone else? You ever have conversations with yourself? Yeah. They told me the more intellectually attuned have conversations with themselves. I don't know that to be true. But I think of submission to the master. When people saw the resurrected Christ, they had no problem submitting to Jesus. No problem. I will even venture to say while he was here on this earth in his ministry before he went to the cross, when they recognized who he was, they had no problem surrendering and submitting to the Lordship of Christ. When they recognize Him. 
Faith is submission to the master. It's about not coming in and saying, Master, what do you got for me? What are you going to do for me today, master? You got this wrong, Jesus says. You're the servant. You go out in the field and do what I tell you, and when you come in after I eat, then I'll feed you. You have to have that kind of mentality. Faith is submission to the master. Number three, faith is simple obedience. It's not big, exuberant things. It's the little mundane things of life where you simply obey what the Lord says. There was a man one time who was talking about his children. And he had one child, that one child. Now, don't raise your hand in here. You know, you have several children in the family, but there's that one child. That one child constantly tested his patience. She would bolt out the church door after church and take off across the street, run out there, and repeatedly he reprimanded her and told her, Do not do that. One day, she bolted out the door, didn't listen, simple obedience, didn't listen, ran right into the path of an oncoming car in which she was immediately killed. Her demise was refusal to simply obey. When God says no or God says stop, He is doing it so that He can protect us. He's not doing it to restrict our living. He's protecting us. Faith, number four, is doing what we are called to do. Please hear me out. I think I'm going to take my glasses off for this one so I can see your eyes. COVID hurt a lot of things. COVID hurt a lot of things. One of the things I was thinking about and I shared with my guys yesterday, one of the things that I'm most upset about COVID is it's harmed the children's ministries. When we went to video, we had to go to video, people would watch, adults would watch on the services, but kids wouldn't. I don't blame them. I'm not, I'm not picking at them. And, and COVID took something away from us, and it built in a little bit of laziness in us spiritually. I mean, we all gain weight, right? Physically, we know what we're talking about. Don't shake your head, no, I'll call you out. I'm just kidding. We all gain weight because we had an excuse now. Some of you have quit serving the Lord, and you think you got a good excuse for it. You don't answer to me. But how can you say you have faith in God when you want to serve the Lord and you're not even serving Him at all now? I'm looking at my Bible so no one thinks I'm picking on him or someone I'm speaking specifically. I'm just telling you what the Lord laid on my heart. You know what the death of the church is going to be in our century? The death of the church is not going to be same-sex marriage. It's not going to be any of this stuff, gender identity, none of that stuff. You know what the death of our church is going to be? Apathy amongst professing believers. They just don't care anymore. Well, I've had a long day. If I don't go to Awana, someone will fill in my place. 
If I don't do what I used to do, if I don't teach my class, or if I don't do this, or I don't do that, if I don't serve, if I don't help, or if I don't do this, it really doesn't matter. Someone else will pick up the load. You missed the point. Faith is doing what God called you to do. If God called you to do it and gave you a spiritual gift, you will stand accountable to him, not to me, not to the deacons, not to anybody. And we've lost our fear of the Lord. Nobody fears the Lord anymore. We're buddies. We're chumming with God. We've lost our awe, our sense of reverence. We've forgotten, we have forgotten that He's the master. I'm the servant. And I'm to come submissive to Him. That's what faith is. Why do you do what you do? Because I believe God told me to do it. And I have faith in Him. And my faith is increasing when I do what He tells me to do. So I'm going to do it. Well, I only have two people. Well, aren't they worth it? We don't have to have hundreds or thousands. Jesus had 12. And of those 12, one was a not really one. I don't know how else to say it. That just sounds good. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, all the church was in one accord, in, not in a Honda, but in a building. And there was about 120 of them. His church was about the size of our church. And from there, because they had faith in God, they turned the world upside down. But preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through. And I would be foolish to pretend I know what you're going through. But you think quitting on God's going to help? You think about abandoning your faith is going to help? I mean, I'm putting my glasses back on so I see your eyes. But, wait a minute. But if we just had more faith, we could move mountains and we could do so much more. And Jesus said, just do what I tell you. And here's your response when you do it. Don't get up and say, oh, you know, I just don't want nobody to know it, but I love Jesus and everything I do, I do it for him. No, he just says, when you do it, just say, I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done what I'm supposed to do. This is, 50 years ago, this was normal Christianity. This is extreme. I mean, this is extreme today. People doing what God wants them to do seems like an extreme concept to the, the culture we live in today. But it's normal Christianity of the early church. Well, preacher went 10 minutes over this morning. They were having church every day. I told you about the Puritans. I come in here in a robe and y'all think, oh man, he's gone off the road. Oh, he's gone off. Those guys came in and preached for hours. Nobody moved. Faith is doing what we're called to do. What did God call you to do? If you're saved, you have a spiritual gift that God has given you. And the devil wants you to think it's nominal, it doesn't matter, that you really don't have to be in your place of authority, of, 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 of service, not authority of service. He wants you to believe that, that you don't have to do that, it's okay because of grace and everything. That's fine, you do have grace, and I'm telling you, it's not what you do, it's what Christ has done for you. But I'm telling you this, you're going to be accountable for the spiritual gift He gave you, and you're going to be accountable for what He called you to do. And I'm telling you, because I want you to know that you can't get today back, you can't get yesterday back.
One man told me one time, I wish I wouldn't have done what I'd done. And I know that I'm in the condition right now because I did what I did. And I'm not going into details. I'm being very vague. And he said, I, I should not have done that. I should have just done what God called me to do, and I would have been fine. I watched this, a special on Billy Graham yesterday, and four men started the Billy Graham Crusades. Those four men, before they had the first crusade, got together, and Billy Graham said, Listen, there's been a lot of evangelists fallen. There's been a lot of evangelists that have tarnished the name of Jesus Christ, and we have to do some things, and we need to have a covenant. The Modesto Manifest is what they called it. Modesto, California was where they were going to do it. The first thing, the first point they said, number one, we will be financial, financially accountable to each other. The four of them. Number two, we will be morally accountable to each other. Which includes any, didn't have phones in, didn't have to worry about that. But anytime anyone wants to question us amongst our group, he, he can do that without retribution. Alongside of that, they decided that no man would be alone in a room with a member of an opposite sex unless it was that man's spouse. Throughout the entirety of the Billy Graham uh, crusades, they never had one moral, one financial crisis where someone made an accusation that stuck. The, other, the third commitment was a commitment to the local church. Even though they did evangelistic crusades, they said we're going to try to involve churches and try to get people in churches in those areas because we believe in the local church. We're going to be stuck to local church. This is what they did. And they did that. Why? Because it's what God called them to do. It's what God called them to do. And if faith is believing that what God's called me to do, I'm going to do it. And then, I throw this in here. Faith is doing what we're called to do with the right attitude. The right attitude. Jesus said, So likewise, you... Speaking to the disciples, when you have done all those things, you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Yours and my duty is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Him. And I, I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip. I'm not here to do anything other than to give you this message that God gave to me for my life. Because I am prone to one that wants to do things and ask God to bless it rather than doing the things that God blesses. I am one who has these big ideas that never come to fruition. Is anyone else with me? And I read the scripture and Jesus says, you guys, the disciples, you want all this faith so that you look good. If you want to increase your faith, you simply obey Jesus, you walk with him daily, and your faith will increase.
And I don't know about you. I'm not a doomsday guy. I, I just believe what the Bible says. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt one day we are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day. It may be soon. I don't know. There may be, this congregation may not be the same next week. There might be someone here that doesn't make it through the week. You say, I feel good. Well, praise God, I feel good too. But that don't mean you ain't going to die. We're all in various stages of dying. You know that, right? And so I would challenge you this. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would ask you to examine your life. You know that you have, you know that you have sinned against a righteous and holy God. I don't have to worry about Ten Commandments. I can't get through three of them. Every one of us in here has sinned. We all know that we've sinned. And because we sinned, according to the Scriptures, we deserve to die. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. We deserve to die, go to hell, and be tormented because we're liars, we're thieves. I'm telling you, we are sinners. And the penalty for sin is death. But Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners of whom I am chief, the Apostle Paul says. He came to this earth to live a perfect life, to be tempted in every area we were tempted in without sin, go to the cross and die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Every thought I would think that is uh, against God Every word I would ever say that is against God, every action I would ever do that is against God, Jesus knew it, took it upon Himself on the cross, and died for your sin and my sin. He was buried and He arose from the grave. And the Bible tells us that if we will repent of our sins and believe in Christ alone, Jesus Christ alone, plus nothing, not Jesus and being good and Jesus Jesus only and what he did on the cross of Calvary we'll be saved you'll be saved it's only by faith alone in Christ alone if you're not saved I would challenge you this morning right where you're sitting you don't have to get up you don't have to do all this stuff all you got to do is believe repent of your sins and believe say Lord I'm sorry for my sin I'm turning from my sin I deserve to die I know that but I believe you died in my place. Right now, best I know how, I'm trusting in you. The only reason I'm going to go to heaven is because you died on the cross, you were buried and you rose from the grave, and I am turning to you, believing, trusting you to take me to heaven. That's the only hope I have, and he will save you. If you're here and you're saved, I would challenge you. Is your faith increasing? We've become good at Christianese, haven't we? We know how to say the right things in the right way. So everybody thinks, man, gosh, they're good Christians. But God knows. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. He knows if we're real or not. He knows if we're growing or not. He knows if we're right right here. He knows if our faith is genuine or not. I mean, you can fool me most of the time. But you can't fool God. So my question to you is, are you ready to simply follow God? Jesus Christ every moment of every day of your life. You say, preacher, I can't do that. Just obey him each 
step of the way. Don't plan. This is why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. I'm going to get through this. I'm following Jesus. I'm in his word. I'm believing. I'm trusting. I'm obeying. I'm going to get through today. And he'll help you. Father, we love you. We ask you to speak to us this morning.